Good morning. This morning we're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 9. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. This is the word of the Lord. There always seem to be spontaneous opportunities for generosity in our lives. Uh, whether, whether, and you know, I work downtown here on Main Street, my office is on Main Street, there always seem to be spontaneous opportunities to reach out to somebody, to, to buy somebody a meal, to give somebody a ride. Uh, there are always opportunities to be generous in a spontaneous way taking care of one of your friend's kids because they have to rush one of their other kids to the doctor or to the emergency room. They're all... Spontaneous needs to be merciful and generous will never leave us until the Lord Jesus comes back. And it's usually the spontaneous types of generosity and mercy uh, that make the newspapers or, or that... Uh, get brought up in prayer requests or testimonies and stories. And that's all true and that's all good. But you know, generosity is such a priority for the Christian life that it deserves planning. And that's why today's message is called Planning to be Generous. We are very close to completing our series on 1 Corinthians, this amazing ancient letter. On Paul's third missionary journey... He was going throughout the Mediterranean world, strengthening the churches that he had started. And on that third missions journey, he was, he was strategically collecting financial gifts, church after church, collecting funds in order to bring them back uh, to the church in Jerusalem. Apparently the church there, uh, the original church, uh, had come upon some hard times. And now, near the end of his letter, he's telling the Corinthian church that he had planted only a few years earlier that he's coming to visit them again, and when he comes, he's hoping to collect uh, financial gifts from them as well uh, to bring to Jerusalem. And here we glean invaluable insight that Christians, that the church has used, has followed for the last 2,000 years, ever since Paul wrote these words related to charitable giving, invaluable insight related to practical expressions of generosity. God's work for the church, in addition to worship and proclamation of the truth and discipling others to grow in their faith and to come to faith in the saving Son of God, Jesus Christ, in addition to all of that, the work of the church is generosity on a small scale and on a great scale, on an individual level and on a group level. The central theme in the Bible 
from when the Israelites were liberated as slaves from Egypt and entered their promised land, a central theme for the people of God is to be merciful to one another and to be merciful to strangers and outsiders that come into their midst. True faith reveals itself, as the New Testament begins to show us, true faith reveals itself through good deeds, especially generosity. Now, I want to open it up to you. I would love to get your opinions on this. Just brief responses, please. But let me ask you a question. What prevents us from being generous? According to your own experience or your observations in life, what prevents people from being generous with their money or with their time or generous with their skills or generous with their knowledge? What do you think? What, what causes people, um, what hinders people from being generous, Beth? In a hurry. You're in a hurry. Constantly in a hurry. Yeah. Busy lives, always moving. Okay, great. Do you mean like in a, like so schedule sometimes could be uh, a hindrance to generosity? Great. Okay. So I thought I saw another hand. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Just, just fear. And, and that fear can take many different forms and it can be directed to many different concerns. Fear. Fear hinders generosity. Yeah. Okay, your personal dreams and desires. You're, you're kind of trying to preserve those dreams and desires. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, Marge. Selfishness. Yeah. Man, we can talk about that for a long time. Yeah. Greed. Okay, similar. Similar response. Greed. Yeah. Uh, finances. Finances. Lack of money, absolutely. It, it, it's very, it can be a very practical thing. I, definitely uh, in the back and then here. Um, like being afraid of not being able to give much as you feel Being afraid of not doing as much as you feel you should. Yeah, is that similar to like plans and aspirations or hobbies or leisure time or? Okay, yeah, like just minimizing your resources down. Yeah, right here. Uh, being concerned that the gift may not be used well. Mm. Concern that the gift you give may not be used well might be wasted. Yeah, yeah, so you're, you're a steward of what you give away, and then at some point it leaves your control. So you're trying to think about that. Yeah, really good. A blind eye. A blind eye. Okay. A blind eye to the needs. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great. So not, oh, so a hindrance, a hindrance to generosity is not seeing the need. Okay. Thank you. Maybe a couple more. Yes. And then one more. Hmm. So uh, not being appreciated for, for what you're, you're offering. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a big one. And one more. A lack of love, a lack of deep love for others. All right, one more. I saw your hand. Lack of faith. Yeah, a lack of faith. Faith is, is truly agreeing with God and giving up control. And, and, and when we're afraid to give up control and, and lack God's faith to take care of our resources or, or take care of the situation, 
that, we're, that we have no control over, we're, we're less likely to be generous. Really good thoughts, everybody. Uh, I agree with all of them. Here's another one, debt. Personal debt is a big hindrance to being generous. According to the Barna Group, one-third of practicing American Christians claim that their personal debt makes it difficult for them to be generous. And the younger you get, the more of an issue statistically that is. So for my generation, generation Gen Xers, and then for the next one down, millennials, which uh, regardless of who's here today, Gen Xers and millennials make up about half of our regular attendance on an annual basis. Um, college debt just straps you down um, and becomes a big issue. It's interesting, I find, that science and psychology and sociology, even from a modern secular perspective, so even just considering what secular science and psychology and sociology say, they are saying things that the Bible has been trying to communicate for thousands of years, that people left to their natural instincts are prone towards self-preservation and self-protection on a biological level, on a social level, on a practical level. We take care of ourselves and what we have and what we want to do. But the Apostle Paul shows us, just almost in passing, right? Because we're reading somebody else's mail here. Paul shows us that generosity from a Christian perspective and for the Christian must become more than an afterthought. Generosity for the follower of Jesus Christ must become more than an afterthought in your thinking. And today, as we look at what Paul told the Corinthians, we're going to talk about the purpose of generosity, what God's intention is behind our generosity. And we're going to talk about the means, the many means by which we may be generous. And then finally, we're going to talk about the source from which all of our generosity flows. So the purpose of generosity, the means of generosity, and the source for our generosity. Now, the purpose of generosity, as some of you smart ones might say, is to glorify God, of course. But practically speaking, the purpose of generosity is mercy and mission. Generosity is merciful and is missional. Look at the first two verses of this section. Paul says, now concerning the collection for the saints, he doesn't elaborate, so you have to assume they know what he's talking about. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, and he goes on to tell them, on the first day of the week, Sunday, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. These, this, this opening, these opening instructions reveal uh, two things uh, that I want to focus on today. Uh, the first is, is the concept of mercy. And what I mean by mercy is the biblical idea of relieving one another's felt burdens. Mercy was a giving priority in the early church. When the Apostle Paul, for the first time, came to Jerusalem years after his conversion, and he met all the apostles, Peter and John and James, and met all the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, and they realized this guy's legit, despite his terrible reputation from the past. Paul's, we're going to endorse Paul for his missionary journeys. Paul later would tell the Galatians in Galatians chapter 2 that the apostles told him, don't forget to remember the poor wherever you go, wherever you preach, 
Wherever you set up shop for the gospel, please remember the poor. And Paul told the Galatians, that's exactly what I wanted to do. The very thing I wanted to do, remember the poor, was what they asked me to do. Paul, this is a beautiful thing. Paul, a recovering Pharisee, in this gift collection, is uniting Jewish believers and Gentile believers through a practical need. Paul's giving instructions to the Corinthians urged Christians everywhere to be proactive and consistent in their generosity. Proactive and consistent. He tells them on the first day of the week, right? So at some point in New Testament times, Christians started gathering on Sunday because it was the day the Lord rose from the dead. When they gathered, they gathered for worship to celebrate communion. And and, and in the worship process, there was a collection. And the collection was usually collected for the local poor, the poor among them, right in the congregation and in their community and for whoever was teaching and preaching for them. So Paul's thinking is, look, since you're getting together once a week to worship and to take collections, that's a good time of the week for all of you to remember to put a little bit of a side a little aside, a little extra above and beyond aside, keep it at home and store it up so that when I come, I can collect it to bring it to the church in Jerusalem. So Paul's giving instructions not only promised them to be proactive and consistent, but his giving instructions also promoted fairness regarding class or status. Because notice that he says, each of you, as he may prosper, should set something aside on a regular basis. As he may prosper, another way of saying that is, as your situation allows. He doesn't say a certain amount or a certain percentage. And he doesn't doesn't say, you rich people, make sure you give. He doesn't say, you poor people, because I'm sure there were servants and slaves in the congregation. It was a diverse faith community. He doesn't say, hey, you're exempt. You're excused from, from giving because you have so little. No, he says, each as he may prosper, whatever your situation allows, regardless of the situation or an individual's resources, Paul encouraged everyone to be generous. And Paul, Paul echoed that concept later in his next letter to the Corinthians. We call it 2 Corinthians. In chapter 9, verse 7, he says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For as we heard earlier today, God loves a cheerful giver. Now, in addition to mercy, mission also was a giving priority in the early church. Mercy and mission. Look at verses 5 and 6. He says to them, I will visit you. He was was in Ephesus writing this letter. He stayed in Ephesus for over two years on that journey. But he was eventually going to make his way to Greece. And he was going to come down to the province of Achaia, where Corinth was. And he says to them, I will visit you. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. Internal concerns are very important. Meeting internal, local needs will be a priority for the church until Jesus returns. But what drives generosity in the New Testament, in the apostles' thinking, what drove generosity, it was mission. 
It was outward thinking, not in, you have to take care of things internally, but the, the heart, the heart, the motivation in the New Testament is, is outreach, is mission, is outward thinking. Paul's mission was to further the spread of the life-changing gospel wherever he went throughout the Mediterranean world. And Paul saw them as his partners, every congregation. And you know what? We find out, despite the Corinthians and their crazy attitudes and their pride and their struggles with all sorts of sin and and the way they reflected their secular culture in unhealthy ways, nonetheless, they saw themselves as Paul's partners in ministry. As you keep reading in the book of Acts and you, you read not only this letter, but the next letter, 2 Corinthians, you see that they gave generously, that, that they answered Paul's call. They were partners in the broader global mission of the gospel. So giving, and this is a, a very short presentation on it, but giving is merciful. Giving is missional but it's managed with integrity. Look at verse three. He says, I will send them, meaning, uh, uh, sorry, I didn't read that correctly. He says to them, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. I will send those you endorse by letter with the gift to Jerusalem. That's really important. Actually, Paul wants the church itself, not him, He wants the congregation itself to select and authorize by written letter messengers who are going to take this offering. Remember, this is coins, okay? They're going to take coins across political borders, land and sea, in order to get this offering, this collection to Jerusalem, right? So he wants people authorized by the congregation, selected by the congregation other than himself. Because at this point, he's not sure whether he's going to go to Jerusalem with the gift or not. He doesn't know yet. Other than himself, people trustworthy to transport the cash. It seems that Paul had no intention of handling the money. It's managed here with integrity. So giving, that's just as an aside, okay, but it's important. So giving was merciful, giving was missional, and it was managed with integrity. Now for you and I, how can we adapt that thinking? Missional, merciful, with integrity. How can can we adapt Paul's guidance to them so that we may be merciful and we may be missional? in the way we think about our generosity, either as individuals or as a congregation. While financial needs are a fact of this life, money's not the only way to give. At any time in your life, there may be many ways to be generous, or at least a few ways to be generous. You may not have much money, You may have a lot of physical energy. You may have a body that is young and healthy. And you can use it for the glory of God to help others, to help others build and fix and rearrange things and to serve in practical ways with your physical health. You may have time. You may have a lot of time on your hands. And with that time, you may be able to do perhaps the greatest thing of all, pray earnestly. With your time, you may be able to serve. With your time, you may be able to relate to others in an encouraging way. You have, in Christ, spiritual gifts that you may use 
to bless others. You have skills that you have picked up and acquired along the way in life, either professionally or circumstantially. And we've all suffered. We've all struggled in specific ways and God has comforted us in our struggles. And Paul would say in this second letter, the way that God comforted you in your suffering, you're gonna be able to use that very comfort wisely to encourage somebody else who is gonna go through the same thing that you've been through. There are many ways to be generous. But as life progresses, some of you know this, as life progresses or digresses, and with aging, your capacity to give, it changes, things shift. So for younger people, you may be strapped with college debt, and you may be hindered by a meager, small income. Right? So, so financial giving may scare you very much and you may feel, feel like you can only give a little bit, but you know what? You have time. Hey, if you think you're busy now, you have more time now than you will ever have for the rest of your life. You have energy, you have time, you have good health. That's wonderful. That's a gift. With all these things, be generous. And then you know as you get older, you become strapped with kids or you become strapped with grandkids and now you're hindered, you're hindered by meager health. But maybe in some cases, you have expendable income. You're not feeding mouths anymore, but as you've grown in your career consistently, your income, your wages have gone up and, and now you have some expendable income. Or maybe not, but maybe you have learned acquired wisdom that you can offer, and you have experience, which is invaluable. The means of giving are manifold at any time in our lives, <laughs> and the means of giving may change over time as your circumstances change. That's why every Sunday uh, we say, uh, when we introduce the offertory, uh, we say, if you're committed to Jesus Christ, if you're committed to Deep Run Church, give as God has enabled you and as God has directed you. So I'm encouraging you to prioritize generosity as a practical expression of living as a Christian. Again, I'm gonna keep quoting Paul's second Corinthians, uh, chapter eight, verse seven. He said, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you also excel in this act of grace. He's talking about generosity, right? So these, 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 prideful, these prideful, philosophical, cultured Corinthians, these upward mobility-seeking attention-grabbing, disrespectful, socially, economically competitive, diverse Corinthian congregation. He's telling them, yeah, yeah, you're, you're big on philosophy. You're big on knowledge, on all this stuff, right? Okay, be big on this, generosity. Make that a priority. Make that your passion. Be proud of how generous you are. So each of us, you can all ask yourself a few very practical and pointed questions now. Does your personal giving enable you to express concern for the felt needs of others? Does your giving enable you to express unity with the broader church's mission in the world?
and at least in our society and in our region. And, and this is important too, do the organizations through whom you give, right? The, the organizations and the people that handle the money and process it and distribute it to the people who will benefit, do the organizations through whom you give handle funds with integrity? In short, does your generosity reflect with integrity the mercy and the mission of God? Or do we hinder our generosity with poor thinking? We church-going Christians must face the reality that quite often our generosity lacks forethought. The kind of forethought which we apply to our theology and our doctrine, which we say is critical to our teaching and to our discipleship and all the wonderful programs that we as a new, young, growing church have and our social gatherings, and our faith-based friendships. We seem to spend a lot of energy and time on all of these things and make them our priorities in our worship and in our ministry and in our social interactions. We take all of this, we give a lot of it forethought. But when Paul said to the Corinthians, see that you excel in this also, he's saying, make generosity more than an afterthought more than the scraps, than the leftovers of your mind, of your thinking, of your planning. And I would speak to you if you're a bit cynical. Maybe you see yourself as not quite a Christian, or maybe you see yourself as somebody who's been burned by the church, burned by organized religion. You're not gonna trust anybody ever again. You're not gonna write a check. You're not gonna volunteer because organized religion gets dicey and there's hypocrisy, and why would you invest an ounce, you know, a penny of your money, why would you invest a minute of your time, uh, why would you in, invest a thought of your wise, learned experience uh, and give it all to organized religion? And, and I, I gotta respect you on that. Um, we've seen difficult things throughout history, and we've seen difficult things um, in the name of Jesus done taken, stolen, mismanaged, ignored in the name of religion. Uh, so I, I respect that, that concern. But if you're a critic of Christianity, you should rethink your cynical assumptions by considering the Apostle Paul. I want you to think about Paul. Read the book of Acts. Read the whole history of Acts and read First and Second Corinthians. Read every letter Paul ever wrote. It won't take you too long. Paul returned to Jerusalem with these financial collections against the advice of his friends and the people who loved him because they knew that Paul was await that danger was waiting for Paul if he went back to Jerusalem that people wanted his life that people wanted to throw him in prison and that's exactly what happened he was thrown he was arrested in, when he finally makes it back to Jerusalem he was arrested and as far as the biblical historical evidence can tell Paul may have been imprisoned from Jerusalem to Rome for the rest of his life. Paul went back to Jerusalem, facing death, facing probable imprisonment in order to deliver this gift to the poor in the church in Jerusalem. He had plans to make it to Rome. He had plans to, to start doing missions work in the far west, Spain, as far as Spain, Paul was thinking globally, 
He risked it all to get this collection to the saints in Jerusalem. People don't think that way who are trying to start a movement in this world. People don't think that way who want to, remembered, to, want, who want to be remembered for their legacy, for their reputation, for their power, and for their influence over the masses. Think of dictators. Think of people who have caused the world a lot of problems throughout human history. Did they ever consider the needs of the nameless poor? Did they ever prioritize the needs of the poor at the expense of their plans for global conquest? This is unique. It's, it's counterintuitive. Paul was a servant. Paul was one of the most influential people who ever lived. And here's a man who, whose missions movement changed, literally changed the world, but who is a servant and put himself into harm's way in order to get this collection to the people who needed it. The pe people who we don't, we, we don't know who they are. We don't have names. We don't have circumstances. We know nothing about who received this gift other than the church in Jerusalem. What made Paul so sacrificially generous? Who made Paul so generous? You see, there's the answer. The source of generosity is a life transformed by grace, right? God doesn't care the amount or the means, but God loves a cheerful giver. The source of generosity is a life transformed by grace, knowing that you've been transformed by the grace of God. God in love prioritized his gracious plan to save you, to release you from your spiritual poverty. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And then in another place, he said, blessed are the poor for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be reconciled to your creator, you need to know that you're spiritually poor. I don't care how many assets you have and how talented and beautiful you are. Jesus says, if you want me to redeem you and forgive you and have my father's peace and everlasting life, you need to first come to terms with your own spiritual poverty, that you cannot bring anything in your hands before a holy God and say, I deserve to be in your household. We are impoverished utterly. And yet the gospel tells us, and again, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul said, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul said that this, this act of mercy to bring you who are spiritually poor to the throne of God's grace, to be his child, his heir, inheriting all of his cosmic riches for eternity. Before the foundation of the world, this was planned. God the Father and with God the Son and the Spirit of God, before the foundations of human history, before creation itself, made your salvation his priority. That's planning. If your generosity is weak, if you feel like your giving and your management of your funds is rote or misguided or non-existent, consider whether grace has become an afterthought for you. 
Maybe that's the question that needs to precede whether or not our generosity is an afterthought. Has grace become an afterthought? Oh, I pray that that would change. I encourage you to reestablish your priorities. Reorder them in a counterintuitive upheaval of your thinking, of your planning, remembering, as Jesus said, the least of these among us and partnering in the broader work of the gospel of Christ beyond us. The needs of the least of these among us and the broader needs of the mission of God in history beyond us. Throughout Westminster as a community, to the edges of Carroll County, and, and, and to the ends of the earth. Reestablish your priorities and reorder them because Christ prioritized your salvation. Christ saw, Christ saw your poverty and said, I'm going to make, make that person eternally rich with the riches of my love and forgiveness and favor upon them. Christ remembered you. Christ partnered with his heavenly father and with the spirit of God to redeem us. And to anybody who is hindered in generosity by their own doubt or by debt or by selfish thinking, the God of all generosity boldly and joyfully challenges you through the prophet Malachi. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. It's sin, the Bible says, to test God, but not in this way. If you're afraid, if you lack wisdom, and understanding, if you have next to nothing, whether it's energy or time or financial resources or spiritual gifts, if you don't know what they are, whatever it is, or a lack of wisdom, you need a lot of advice and guidance, whatever it is, test God on whether or not he can provide and fulfill abundantly through you and in you for his glory and for the sake of everybody else. Test him on this and he will show you that he is faithful. Generosity may become more than an afterthought in our thinking. It may become, by the grace of God, with his grace in mind, our priority. So in response to God's grace, prioritize generosity with integrity for mercy, for mission. There are many ways to be generous, and the means the ways may change throughout your life as your circumstances change. But remember, a thankful heart is always a generous heart. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for how your generosity has, uh, has taken on many different forms and expressions throughout human history whether it was social liberation for slaves to become a people of your own loving possession, whether it was reconciliation between husbands and wives or friends or enemies or siblings, whether it was lifting uh, the economic needs and the, uh, the practical felt needs of men and women and children, whether it was working through, uh, through government 
and culture to stop oppression. Father, whatever, whatever the means have been, thank you for showing us just how generous you are. Father, we ask that you would teach us to remember your grace and praise you for your grace so that we would be joyful and that our generosity would rightly flow from it. May it be uh, not an afterthought, Father, but at the heart of our forethinking. And may it be a joy for us to be generous. In our Savior Jesus Christ's name, amen.